while your day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. South Coast tonight. Happy Monday. I'm Marcus Farrow. Joining me as my guest host, filling in for Chris, is Jared Valenzuela. Hey, Jared. Marcus, pleasure to be back, my friend. It's great to have you back. Before, Thank you. Before, I, uh, before we get started, maybe uh, if some people hadn't list, weren't listening to the episode a few weeks ago when you guest hosted, um, who are you? Thank you. Uh, Plymouth County Commissioner, elected in 2020. Pleasant pleasure of serving uh, 26 towns of Plymouth County in the city of Brockton, including Marion, Mattapoisett, Middleborough, Wareham, a lot of nice South Coast uh, South Coast communities. I've uh, been a longtime Republican activist, chairman of my local Republican Town Committee, vice chairman of the Plymouth County Republican Club, and national committee man for the Massachusetts Federation of Young Republicans. So, I've had some uh, I've had some fun experience uh, over the years of Republican activism and. Uh, Pleasure to join you again this evening. Yeah, it's great to have you back. So 508-996-0500 is how you can join us this evening. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM app chat if you want to send us a message. One of the things, Jared, and I, I know we, we talked a little bit about it off air, and uh, you're generally familiar with the problem, um, you know, uh, regionally and nationally um, being in your position. But there has been um, the New Bedford Police Union has been sounding the alarm about staffing shortages they say that they're critically low on staffing they've been telling people on facebook um we're letting you guys know as a public service announcement that you may not get the services that your city officials you know basically saying get on the council and the mayor right and right police chief that's who i feel like they're calling out i don't know who else they'd be calling out right (laughs) right so um uh aren't uh you're not getting the services you provided and we had actually the police union president, Evan Bielski, on. He was on Friday. He talked a lot about those issues. He talked about how they lost a they lost a 17-year veteran of the department to a Plymouth County uh, community of Lakeville, right? Because a lot of communities, small communities, they were able to pay more. Right. And on top of that, apparently, it's just hard to retain and hire officers these days. What's your general thoughts um, on the difficulties? That's what, you know, the police chief Oliveira said. What's your general thoughts on the difficulties um, of, of officer retention? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a two-pronged approach, Marcus. With a city like New Bedford, obviously, when you go from New Bedford to Lakeville, that's a significant, <laughs> yeah. significant, you're not really walking the beat in Lakeville. Um, and, and look, I have a lot of friends that are police officers. I, I, I back the blue. They're great, great people. They work very hard. Um, but I think this is starting to become a problem. It's, it's, I think more so nationally, believe it or not, than it is outside of Massachusetts. Um, I don't think it's any secret the police reform bill that was passed last legislative session, I think, put a lot of question marks in folks' minds about whether or not they want to get into a public safety career as a police officer. Why is that? Well, I think the con- I know I know qualified immunity stayed uh, and that was yeah. not eliminated, but I think the 
the constant threat of elimination of that is is a big thing that would hold folks back from wanting to be a police officer. If you could start being personally liable for things that happen on the job, and and I can understand yeah, that. I think that's a mischaracterization of of what they want to do, but we'll well, get to that. We'll, we'll get to yeah, it. we can get to that. But I, but I think the the the. I think that is becoming the bigger issue. So I think the overall issue is, in Massachusetts' case, a lot of that. And look, I had said you know before when it came to that police reform bill, Massachusetts is lucky to have the highest trained, best educated police force across the Commonwealth. I mean, most most of them are definitely a bachelor's degrees. A lot of them I know further their education, whether it be master's degrees in criminal justice. Some, a lot of them I know go to law school, and, and a lot of them are lawyers. So uh, Massachusetts is extremely lucky to have a highly educated police force to begin with. Uh, I think on a more local level, with a city like New Bedford, um, certainly it's going to have different policing challenges than other communities. And if you're an officer who might be feeling the pressure and feeling a lot of the stress of the job, but you don't necessarily want to leave it, I think you're going to see a lot, and, and I we see it in all the cities, uh, across the area, they, they'll go on to not greener pastures because they can't retire yet. But to your point, Lakeville or another community might be able to pay more. You might have more opportunity for detail, but you also just don't feel like you need to put that much. It's a not different a type. Action. Yeah, it's not a lot of action. It's a very different approach in 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 Lakeville. <laughs> You're getting a New Bedford. Yeah, of course. Um, so we're, uh, we're speaking with, well, we have a, our guest host, Jared Valenzuela, and we're talking about the for those of you just tuning in, we're talking about the reported staffing shortages in New Bedford. Uh, the New Bedford uh, that have you know, the New Bedford Police Union are sounding the alarm uh, for, and we've you know we've heard Mayor Mitchell's comments on it. We've heard uh, Chief Oliveira's comments on it, and basically it's it's it, you know it's difficult for officer retention. Police reform bill. I'm still, I'm still, like, I, I'm unsure as to what. Would I'm unsure as to the gripe about the police reform bill, to be frank. Um, you know, I know it started the post commission, which Massachusetts is one of like four communities of uh, four states in the union that didn't have a post commission. Um, uh, police officer safety, uh, something I, I forget what the T stands for, but basically mm-hmm. they certify uh, officers. Um, you know, basically it's a it's a licensure board right like i'm you know as an attorney governed by the board of bar overseers right and uh they they have the post commission the post commission to my knowledge hasn't done a wholesale rescinding of uh police certifications or licensure they haven't had a robust like disciplinary um uh any sort of robust disciplinary maneuvers so i still don't know why that would be a deterrent and qualified immunity qualified immunity is right now what qualified immunity is it's a legal standard that started in the 60s i think it started in the 60s and it was basically like uh it was basically put in place to prevent cops who were enforcing old laws that were on the books after the civil rights movement, right, to from being liable because it makes sense. Okay, that was a law. You enforce those laws. Now those laws are off the books because they've been made unconstitutional. We can't really hold you liable for enforcing laws you were told to, that you had to enforce that right. were on the books, right. right? So that sounds reasonable. 
broadly, um, to the extent that any of that was re- reasonable, but the principle of it sounds reasonable. But now it's a basically a legal standard in which you, um, not the individual, but the police department and the municipality are shielded from liability if they have a, if they do something that basically hasn't been done, if they do something that uh, isn't already on the record. So, like, there's an example of a guy who had, you know, um, uh, a guy who had had a dog uh, sicked on him while he was sitting down, right? While he was sitting down and surrendering to officers. He had a dog uh, sent after him, and he sued the police department. Now, granted, he was fleeing, right? He was on foot. He was fleeing, but he was he had stopped. He was surrendering himself to officers, and then the uh, federal court had basically said, well, there's no other incident on the books exactly like this one. So the officers could not have reasonably anticipated that this would be outside of the scope of their, of their, um, uh, of what they're allowed to do. That's what qualified immunity is. And I think everybody agrees that some, that a standard like that is untenable. I mean, the other thing about qualified immunity is since, <laughs> since this thing had to have happened before and had to have been found to have been unconstitutional then, now that they have this standard, you can't, ever get something on the books as like you can't ever get something an incident on the books is saying okay you can't do this so it gives a lot of officers carte blanche to do whatever they want so i i think on a more local level so for, first of all i think for sure you know if people feel aggrieved and they want to sue sue i think the, the point of qualified immunity is protecting the individual's personal assets from being held liable so I, I think that that it, therein it lies. So if you remove that and you are now personally liable and your assets are on the line, are you going to go into that career? Yeah. And, and I think the other issue is in, in the philosophical question about qualified immunity. You know, I understand the history that you laid out, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. Well, I can't disagree with it because it's history. But, but the 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 point is, I think if you're looking at getting into it as a career, how much? I mean, look, I'm. You know, I'm a licensed real estate agent, and if I screw up, I lose my real estate license. But I don't lose my house. I don't lose other assets. I'm, you know, if yeah. I if I screw up in a real well, estate, well, it would transit. depend on how egregious. True, it is. right? Yeah. I can't. I personally can't fathom. And you as an attorney, I mean, that you would have yeah. to commit a significant amount of malpractice, of which usually we're ending up in jail, not losing our assets. So mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing with qualified immunity for officers is if if it's happening in the line of duty, um, will I lose? But- my home, uh, my my biggest assets because of an incident that may or may not have occurred. And, and I think the other issue is, and it's not even necessarily with the post commission per se, but I, I think it gets into a broader look at incidences that have occurred in Massachusetts. I, what happened in Minneapolis was a horrible, tragic, never should have happened. And those officers are being held accountable, thankfully, and what has happened in other parts of the country. But those haven't necessarily happened in Massachusetts. It's actually been the opposite, where you've had more police officers die in the line of duty in Massachusetts than you have had. And I don't have the statistic off the top of my head, but I can name a couple. You know, Sergeant Chesna in Weymouth, um, Sean Gannon down the Cape. I, I forget what his specific rank was. So you've had more instances of officers in Massachusetts that have paid the ultimate price than you have instances of overusing their position and using their power so i think hmm. when you're looking at it from an from so i guess if, you, if you're gonna if you're going to say more incidences of officers killed in the line of duty than officers who have wrongfully killed uh individuals then uh off the top of my head 
I can't think of anything in particular. So I think you might be right. In terms of qualified immunity, I think everybody would agree that if you're working in a posi- any position in town, because qualified immunity is really for government employees, not just cops. Right. If you're working in right. any position in town uh, in, or in government and you make a mistake because you are a human being and you do make mistakes, that your personal assets, unless it's something incredibly egregious, <laughs> right, right? Right, right. Your personal, like like kneeling on someone's neck and casually executing them on the pavement, right? That, that would be a situation. That in jail as he should be. Right, that would be a situation in which in which I think that, 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 veil, that veil could and should be pierced. But um, I think everybody would agree that if you're a public employee working in a public job and you make a mistake, that's an understandable and reasonable mistake, no matter how grave the consequences, if it's an honest mistake and not... Negli- not just like blatant wanton negligence, then yeah, you probably shouldn't be personally liable, right? You're carrying out a job, and it should be the municipality that hired you. Frankly, that's going to bear the burden, and they have mal- they have insurances for that. They have pay, you know, uh, most police departments and all that. They're all insured by um, by municipal insurance and right. all of that, so they carry insurance. So they're usually going to pay the cost. Like ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, a police department sued, and that in the the person who's as the police department wins, the officers aren't paying those those out of those out of pocket expenses anyway. The problem is is that right now the way accounting uh, the, the way that qualified immunity is in terms of the way it's written, the way the the way the doctrine in court is is that it's it's not it's basically preventing us society from creating a mechanism for accountability via the courts because it, it and frankly i don't know how they even if this the, the it has to be a, a decision that's i don't know how i don't know how you legislate qualified immunity immunity away anyway because if it's made by the courts right it's a court doctrine and the legislature says that court doctrine doesn't exist anymore we're putting it on the books right I get that they can do that, but then the way the courts are basically working now, especially the Supreme Court, it's, I feel like they're just going to come around and say, no, actually, you can't do that. We're going to say that that's wrong. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, the Marbury versus Madison thing. Yeah. Actually, we decide, and we decided that we decide. Right. So um, it's a lot to, I mean, I guess it's a lot to say. This. It's, a, it's a really big systemic problem in terms of, in terms of creating a system of accountability, but I've, I just, it's, it's hard, I'm hard-pressed to find anything super offensive in the, in the police reform bill. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I use this more as an example for folks um, who might want to consider the career, right? I mean, you know, th- there are a lot of families that are military families, but when the country's at war, what is the usual expression? Well, you don't want to be in the military right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, you know, peacetime, you, maybe you want to continue on the family legacy. But when you're at war and overseas, do you necessarily – and I think, I think well, it comes down to generally what the perception is of the of the of any industry and right now for police officers yeah. uh, it is whether the, and again i think for a lot of reasons we focus we collectively now focus so much on national issues that we are not centered on our homes and our communities anymore we were talking off the air about gannett which i rail about on my own radio program and have for years gutting local newspapers now everybody's watching fox or cnn now they're reading usa today or they're reading the new york times which is now a national publication basically and they're not looking at the the fact that things that happened in a state like minnesota or tennessee or georgia doesn't necessarily happen here. Thankfully, it doesn't. And, and, and that's not excusing away what's happened in those other states and saying that perhaps there aren't things we can learn from to make our state and our communities better. But I think if you were to take a wholesale look and get policing in Massachusetts and look at, look at it locally, they're the most educated, 
best paid. You know, you get what you pay for. A lot of these offices that have had these issues have barely high school, some of them high school diplomas across the country is all, all that's required. I think Massachusetts, you need a bachelor's at this point. Every officer I know has a bachelor's degree. So, you know, you, you do sort of get what you pay for, too. And Massachusetts does invest an awful lot in our public safety as well that it led it to being one of the best, most efficient, top-notch in the country, if not in the country. And I do believe that, whether it be local officers that I'm friends with or folks that work in Plymouth County Sheriff's Department that I'm friends with, too. So I think what, you know, the actual legislation of the police reform bill, while I, while I disagreed with it, I, I can understand your point, Mark, is that it isn't like this massive draconian thing, but it continues to add to the perception that if I'm sitting back and thinking to myself, I want to enter into this as a career, it would give me more pause, especially in the context of the national conversation. Yeah, I, th- I suppose that's true, right? In terms of the perception, um, I, you know, police are under a great deal of heightened scrutiny, heightened scrutiny now based on current events. Yeah, frank, frankly, based on police right. officers but in other places doing really right. bad, doing really bad stuff. Right. So inexcusable stuff. And again, I don't that doesn't get explained away. So when you combine that with the only instances we've had locally are Sergeant Chesna in Weymouth and, and Sean Gannon down the Cape. You really start to look at things. Eh, I don't know. Do I really want to start making this a career? And, yeah. and I think a lot of folks may. I mean, I mean, you know, think to, no. to be to be fair, you know, there have been incidences where there have been police involved shootings, New Bedford, Fulver, et cetera, yeah, of where where communities have said there needs to be more questions answered. Sure, but I don't think. That those incidences, in a lot of cases, are as overt as George Floyd or Tyree Nichols or you know those those particular things, right? I, I don't uh, Eric Garner, for example. Right. I think I think it's a little bit more like it's a bit more. Um, I don't want to say explainable, but you know it's a bit more. Well, it's the, more the nuanced. Are, it isn't it's a bit more nuanced. Black I think. and white as as Chauvin was with George Floyd. I mean, yeah. that one was was pretty black and white. It yeah. was black and white. I mean, that right. you know that that one you know that one was black and white. There, there's there has been more nuance. And again, I think that's a true testament, really, to the men and women in blue who serve New Bedford and serve every community in the Commonwealth. That they day in and day out are highly professional, highly trained, highly skilled individuals that are doing a fantastic job keeping us safe um and sure, working absolutely. as hard as they can so I, I think that i think that's a testament to them that we don't have those incidences and and i personally am grateful for that that we and we make that investment in this state we really do we're gonna take a break we'll be right back new bedford's news talk station hey welcome back to the show i'm marcus uh we're here with jared valenzola the special guest co-host for the evening. We're talking about the staffing shortages at the New Bedford Police Department. 508-996-0500 is in the program. We do have some app chat messages. We got an app chat message from a New Bedford resident that's asking you, Jared, what do you think it means to, you said you back the blue. What do you think it means to back the blue? Well, I, you know, I, I think in general, I support our police officers. Uh, I support the men and women that don the uniform every day and, mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't mean I'm not nuanced enough to recognize that, you know, as we've been talking about, Marcus, that they're human and are capable of mistake and error. Um, but I, with everything I do in life, always, you know, I always try to use common sense and intellect whenever I look at any situation and think, was that something nefarious or was that something because they're human and they made a mistake? And mm-hmm. um, I, I think that as a society as a whole, 
we have a hard time having that kind of nuance with folks, no matter what the issue is, whether it be policing, right. elections, that we have a real – the Super Bowl last night, we have a real hard time – Taking what could have just been an honest mistake and understanding that it may not have been nefarious, and I'm and I'm not silly enough or naive enough to say or, or think I'm not naive to think that we don't need to constantly be keeping an eye and monitoring police officers, especially mm-hmm. um, because certainly they're capable of mistaking that that could mean life or death for for other people. Um, but when I say I back the back the blue as a general sentiment is I, I believe that they do what they do to keep us safe. And I believe in Massachusetts, where I live locally, thankfully, and I can only control where I live, um, every cop that dons the uniform in Rockland, Massachusetts, is doing a damn good job of keeping us safe. And and I support them in, in any way I can. And, and I make sure folks realize I do. And, and they do a great job. And they do in this part of the state and and in 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 Plymouth County, so yeah. um, you know. So when I say that again, it's not you know, it's not you know. I, I generally don't like using buzzwords, right? So I think, and I'm glad that that the texter asked that question because I I like I like being able to dive into what that really means to me, and that's what it means. Is you know, I think that there is much like with everything else in society today. There's always sometimes unfair scrutiny. That's not to say they shouldn't be scrutinized, um, but. I think that the level of scrutiny that's been applied, especially here locally, might be a little bit more than what has been warranted based on based on their track record in recent yeah. years. So, um, I think that was a very complete answer. Thank uh, you. Yeah, to be fair, well like, trained in these arts. I, yeah, right. I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I live in Fairhaven. Uh, I'm the chairperson of the Commission on Disability here, and we've done some great work with the Fairhaven yeah. Police Department, and continue to do it. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the work that they do. But um, you know, I guess. I guess we, we it sort of dovetailed out of this conversation about the staffing problems yeah, in New Bedford. New Bedford. Some of it is, frankly, the police in New Bedford probably just need to be paid more. Um, yeah, and that that could be it. You know, I I know uh, I know the city council just voted some raises for I believe probably non collectively bargained uh, employees. And you know, look, I, I as a county commissioner, I don't have a police force. The sheriff's departments taken away from us in 2010, but I do negotiate contracts. And one of the things that I do understand, uh, as much as I, I pride myself on being a fiscal steward, sometimes there is penny wise and pound foolish, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to address that with some of our bargaining units in Plymouth County, I think we did effectively, at least with the one that was really egregious, which is our maintenance department. I think that needs to be a look that the city would be wise to do. Certainly New Bedford is roughly the same size as Brockton, as Quincy. Um, you have some cities where you can comp what you're paying, what your salaries are, what your department's budget yeah. is. Certainly different needs uh, across those three cities, for sure. Different demographics, of course. But I think as a general rule, you can you can look, if, if I'm putting my New Bedford cap on and I'm serving the city of New Bedford, that would be the first thing I would do is start to run a comparison of what, what are – like-sized cities paying. Because to your point, Marks, it's going to be hard for the city to compete with a quiet suburban town. I mean, yeah. a bedroom community like New Bedford, a Mattapoisett, Marion, Fairhaven, a Cushnet, right? That, I think, will come with the territory of just being more appealing. You maybe want a quieter role um, than working in a city. But there are other officers, and I know, I know, as I was saying to you off the air, one of my friends is on the gang unit in Brockton, and, I, mm-hmm. you know, he signed up for that you know he took on that role 20 something years ago yeah. and he can't imagine being a, a cop otherwise other ways and doing that so i think i think you have 
I think it cuts both ways. I think there are some that that would want the the challenge. I'm not say New Bedford's a challenge, but it's a different challenge than what you're going to get in a smaller, more suburban town. And, and and I think you're right. I think a wholesale examination of what you're paying because uh, it's difficult too. Turnover is difficult. You know, regardless of some of the other things we've talked about, if you're constantly having turnover, you know, one of the advantages of having local policing, especially in a city like New Bedford, is you really get to know the folks in the city. And yeah. that's a major advantage when you're having that turnover and you're losing officers, you know, that, that becomes a policing gap. Yeah. I think I, that's a great point, actually. Uh, the familiarity with yeah. the, with the officers or any really public servant in the community is so important to really getting to know the area and being able to serve it as dutifully as you can. Right. And uh, a lot of that's lost when there is, you know, a great deal of turnover. Not only that, you know, when we were talking with the police union president on Friday, they talked about how basically um, there was, uh, you know, they're training. They're basically they're, they're putting these people through the academy. They're training them up, spending money and, and resources into training them. And then they're going elsewhere. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. And that's another issue. It, it's yeah, it's 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 sort of a difficult issue. It's like, can you can you reasonably put some type i know you can do transfer freeze and stuff like that but can you reasonably put some type of of restriction on say if we put you through the academy you're here for x amount of years yeah and i i don't know i mean i know it was again bad bad analogy but sort of similar with the county maintenance department you know we we increased their you know in the first year of the deal i negotiated we increased their pay by over 10 percent because mm-hmm. we were the lowest paid maintenance department across the entire commonwealth and to your point, we'd bring them in, we'd train them, and then they would go work for Marshfield Public Schools or they'd go work for the town of Whitman or wherever, yeah. right? And and they would be getting paid more. And we realized, again, and the, the point with New Bedford with the cops as well is we're bringing them in, we're training them, we're paying to train them, and then they're gone. And the other issue, too, is, you know, when you're bringing in, you know, and I don't know if there are folks that are transferring into New Bedford, but, you know, there are, there are folks who know how to be police officers. But if you put them in a new city, then they're, they're going to have to learn the city and you know, back to that point I just made relative to like knowing the community, you know, it, it's, it's, you need to get to learn the community. And, and that's the advantage that you have with local policing that it gets lost. But when it comes to the training, that is, and I don't know if that's even legal, you know, I know like non-competes yeah. generally don't hold up in court. They so don't. like, how do you, unless you just sign a contract and have a deal that says, yeah, I agree. I'm not yeah. going to go anywhere for five years. Then I wonder too. I mean, that could that could backfire big time on you. You then you have nobody applying because they think to themselves, "Well, well I got to commit to. I got to commit to five years in one place. What if I don't like it? You know, and 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 what's to stop me from just going to Dartmouth or a Cushnet or Fairhaven or yeah. or wherever? You know, just next door, who will probably be hiring. Maybe not as much as the city. But yeah, it would, it would probably have be to hiring. be a, a statewide. It would probably have to be a statewide law, but it's it might be. A, I don't know if it's a problem unique to New Bedford or, or other cities in the Commonwealth. You said you, you know, you spoke with um, Brockton seems to be relatively okay in terms of staffing. Yeah, you know that the few conversations I've had with the mayor, and you know, I, I'm always cognizant of my role as a county commissioner. And I will say, a great way to address this would be more countywide services, right? So strengthening sheriff's departments uh, that would be a great way of addressing it because then there's service in the entire county and you can have more of a focus on certain parts and areas but that's a yeah. that's a count that's just me it's, always it's that's always of, just me pivoting to you know the thing pumping is with, up county government Don, so <laughs> yeah i talked to donna buckley the new cape sheriff uh, i had her on air you know shortly after she won yeah. the, the, the 
so like their sheriff's departments do do work with law enforcement. Of, of course, course, that's right. the you know hand in hand. A lot of that has to do with they they have a ne- a necessary collaborative relationship. Of course, I think in terms of like it depends on how much you want to supplant you know police you know law enforcement services or emergency services with countywide government because I I think there was a, a good point to be had that you know you have elected leaders who hire administrators in your police department who are police chiefs that really set the tone for how you want to do things right and so having this sort of overarching county you know uh county governmental body right like the sheriff's department doing other stuff like doing their own beat patrol or something like that kind of interferes with all that right right? well and i say it tongue-in-cheek i mean i think i think if we were to have a more robust conversation on how that would be possible i think there are ways to make it possible where it it would service the communities but but it would take care of transfers because if you just work for the county sheriff or the county police department, that's that's just it. Um, and I'm in no way advocating for that. I just always sort of the just a side point. Sound like you were. Well, it's just well, I always like to throw it in a little bit, <laughs> mostly because I think it does it does address that issue of transfers. It's sort of like, well, this is where you were, this is where you're assigned, and you know, you generally you're going to move around the county, but. You know, you can't transfer out of one department into another and then you have no, you know, no say or no jurisdiction. But I do agree with like local policing, especially in cities. So I think, you know, when you look at the way California does it, right? Los Angeles County has its own sheriff's department. The city of Los Angeles still has its own police department, own cops. They work for the city. Same thing, city administrators. And I think that could be something that you could potentially, it's never going to happen in the state. I know that it's not going to happen, but that's always the example I kind of give that, you know, you would have, uh, the sheriff's department being able to supplement that locally, but again, back to you know, back to the local local city. Um, I, I think that that is you know part of the problem now too is is in the pay and you know it 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 that's always going to drive it you know and and again you know we talked in the in the first part of the segment about some of the national narrative that gets out there. So if you're sitting back thinking to yourself, do you want to become an officer? You know, that could start to be just it becomes just ticks against wanting to be a cop. And, you know, I I don't know the internal environment in um, in New Bedford. I mean, again, you know, you referenced Brockton and this was a long way to get back to because I lost that train of thought and why I went off on that tangent. You know, with with the city, you know, I I think that their staffing levels are are good and I think that they're they're able to retain folks. And, um, you know, I'm cognizant of my role, so I don't generally converse with the mayor of Brockton about policing um, matters because that's just not what I do as a commissioner and it just I have no relevance with it sometimes it's just side conversation with them but sure. um, but I think that that's you know that is um, you know that I think would be a good look at if, if I were a city leader in New Bedford I would really begin looking at other communities that are similar size and looking at what they're doing trying to figure out what it is that they're doing that they're able to maintain um, staffing let's take a break we'll be right back 1420 WBSM, where freedom of speech lives. South Coast. Our connections make powerful things happen, uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. With over 1 million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Around the world, generations of leaders build new friendships and solve problems, turning great ideas into reality. Take action with us. Find out more. At rotary.org slash action. Life is filled with many paths. But for Native American children, the most important path is the one that leads them out of poverty. It's a path that led me here to St. Joseph's Indian School. 
and 96% of St. Joe's students graduate high school. That's 10% higher than the national average. St. Joseph's Indian School is our path to a brighter future. Learn more at stjo.org today. One's on the left, left, the other on the right. Right. But they're both ready to call it right down the middle. More of Marcus and Chris on South Coast Tonight, here on WBSM. <laughs> yeah, it is. I like that. A little yeah. Jimmy World action. The songs coincide with the theme. with the things the I, voice guy's saying. I love it. Yeah, that so, good. so they're going to call it right down the middle, right? Because one's on the left, the other's on the right, and then he so they play... The Middle by Jimmy Eat World. What's okay? A little bit of a digression from to actually a complete and total digression. Of course. Um, the best Jimmy Eat World song is either The Middle or Sweetness. They had other songs. Okay, but those are the. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? I said I got a ta- I got a little tangent story no, for Jimmy Eat World because too. because here's the thing. I remember when I back when I was on Facebook. I posted which of the two Jimmy, you know, which of the two Jimmy World songs are the best, right? And everybody immediately wondered <laughs> what, what I was talking There's about, right? Two. Which of the two Jimmy World songs are the best? And everybody, no one was like, well, was it this one? Was it that one? Everybody knew, yeah, the middle or sweetness. But what were you going to say? I don't, it's, honestly, I don't even remember sweetness. But what I will say is uh, I'm, a Bro, huge, I'm a huge fan of Third Eye Blind, like, like love them right mm-hmm. so i was going to a show and jimmy world was touring with them and i'm with i was actually with my my aunt sounds like an awesome tour oh yeah i mean so it was my aunt's stepdaughter as i was with in, in like their friends so i remember we're like we meet up before and they were playing at the um uh bank of america pavilion i don't know what it's called now but the one on the seaport so like you can kind of hear the opening act so we're on like the roof bar Listening to the opening act, listening to the first the opener, and then Jimmy Eat World. And I remember we're following the set list and purposely timed our entry into the venue for when they did the middle. Right? <laughs> so we got in there. That's awesome. Listen to the middle. They come off. They're done. Then the you know the, the stage flips over and it becomes third eye blind. This is you never heard of sweetness. I don't think so. You never heard this song? Okay, I have heard this. Come on. I have heard this song. Yeah, so that was the... um, So when I said to everybody, which of the two Jimmy... Everybody immediately knew. Most people said the middle. There was one like Edge Lord who was like, I like this song that like, <laughs> literally no one's ever heard of. I'm because like, they went to the Wikipedia page and looked at the debut album and were like, basically, pull this one yeah, out. It's like, we're the three things. So there's the, the, the three, there's like probably three singles. Two of them are the songs we were talking about. <laughs> and there was one that was like, you know, yeah. he's like, yeah, that's the song I actually oh, like. Yeah. You know, well, that's, that's the song I like. That's great. Yeah. So, but most people said the middle. But I feel like I like Sweetness more. I think it's a better song. But and I feel like the middle's just more a more better known more song. More pop, yeah. I mean, it, more it, popular. It, you know, like back with Third Eye Blind and Semi Charmed Life, which is theme song to my that show. That is not my favorite Third Eye Blind song. I, I like. Um, I don't know why I'm obsessed with it, but I am. I like. You know, it's a good song. Obviously, oh, yeah. yeah. But um, I like Crystal Baller. Uh, Crystal Baller's I, up there. 
Uh, obviously, jump uh, jumper. Yeah, right. Third, third eye blind. Um, it's funny. So I'm a graduate super, super Beatles fan. So I love graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, super Beatles fan, but third eye blind is the only other band aside from the Beatles that I've listened to every single one of their albums. Um, yeah, love. I mean, semi charmed life mostly because like it's I just, a great song. I remember taking it from CD, putting it on like cassette, and like listening to it on my paper route. So I think it's a lot of just more nostalgia. Uh, for anything like there, but like it's never funny. let you go. Ten days late. What's more, what's more of a relic here, Jimmy? Uh, I mean, uh, third eye blind or a paper route? Right. I know. <laughs> I, know. I, know. I, know. I, hey, I I had a paper route. Nine eleven. I'll never. This is my nine eleven memory. I was. It was an afternoon. It was a Brockton Enterprise, and it was delivering papers under the World Trade Center. Literally, and it what's, was what's that? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, it was in Rockland, but like there was an afternoon publication that they had the Twin Towers on the front page. Oh wow! And I'll never forget. I was in school, and uh, the teachers had sort of told us what was happening. Not really, because I was you know young. But when I got home, like delivering the newspapers, like I'll never forget. Like sort of that powerful moment for me was delivering that new I mean obviously everybody knew what was happening they weren't waiting for the enterprise yeah. for that but you know that that was sort of my memory I got pulled out of school I was in 7th grade I got pulled out of school midday my my mom pulled me out of school and she, you know think just general like whatever nervousness or like whatever and then I'm like well, you know why why are you pulling me out right, of school right right not that I you know I'll take it right at the time I was like I'll take it but why are you pulling me out of school and she said two planes hit the world trade center and my immediate reaction at 12 years old was, what's the World Trade Center? Right, right. <laughs> you know, and then seeing that, we totally total went off. off, off I mean, the transition day. from from local policing issues to 90s to mid Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> bands to Jimmy to, Eat World. To, to 9-11. To where were you in 9-11? Right. Um, well, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember too. Like we had went, my, you know, there was a guy in town that was doing a bus trip to New York City. And so my first time ever in New York City was December of 2000. He used to do it in December. So first time ever was December 2000. And I uh, we went to the top of the Empire State Building. And my dad took a picture, I think, of the World Trade Center from the Empire State Building. And that was mm-hmm. in December 2000. We went back down again in December 2001. And, you know, they were gone. And, you know, we went down to ground zero. And it was it was uh, a sad, sad, just incredible sight, sad sight to see. And, you know, tying it all back since we've gone completely on a, <laughs> on a total spin. But, of course, you know, the New York City Police Department, New York City Fire Department just responding, you know, to that tragedy in in in. in, in such immeasurable. Not rates. only that, uh, police and fire departments from all over the the country. country we, we actually right? had a, a New Bedford uh, fire department. I had a, New Be- a member of the New Bedford fire department on because uh, my show happened to fall on the twenty year because uh, I was doing Saturdays. Yeah, happened to fall on the twenty year anniversary of nine eleven. So I had a, a local um, fu- uh, firefighter who actually was part of like this team, you know, in southeastern right, Massachusetts right. that it went down there and and uh, yeah, it was. Wow. All right. Got to take a break. (laughs) This is quite a digression. So we're going to take a break and we'll be back. Always use the mic. Always. Exactly. You got the mic. You use the mic. Exactly. So welcome back. I like how you're doing a tactic I occasionally do now. Hmm? I love how you're doing something I occasionally do, especially when I have debates on radio. What's that? Stand. (laughs) <laughs> you, you, the, the voice projects better. You're making your opponents nervous. Like, I've done that for years. Yeah, I mean... I always try to stand. McCarthy's a big stander, um, too. Uh, actually, when I when I first went on the air with him, he was standing and I was sitting. 
Um, but it's just a lot easier because, uh, like you said, voice projects better and just sitting down for long periods of time isn't as good, you know, just yeah, sedentary. Yeah, for you. Yep. so I'll, I'll usually fluctuate between sitting and standing uh, during the debates. I thought you meant carrying on a off-air conversation into the um, into the into the on-air thing, which is a I do that as well. One of sometimes. my favorite things to do. It's so good because the people will be wondering what were they talking about, and sometimes they know, sometimes they figure sometimes, it out. Sometimes, other they times do. they will just never know. Sometimes, well, you can It'll you can fill in the blanks. You can just assume what we're talking about. <laughs> just be the secret of the show. Yeah, you can just make assumptions. It'll be it'll be like a fun game. Right. What were they talking about? They were talking about this. <laughs> right. You can say it's the most evil, dastardly thing on the planet. You can't. Right. It doesn't matter. You know. So <laughs> um, exactly. So uh, you know, go have at it. But um, we're closing out the first hour. Uh, second hour uh, is coming up. Jared, you know what I want to ask you about? I can't wait. <laughs> it's not super local because it's not local at all. Sure. But I want to ask you about the State of the Union. Sure. Because okay. Chris and I didn't really have a robust conversation okay. about it, but we got a Republican here, so let's let's. Do all it. right. <laughs> 